Hey now, it's the dirty side of the track, America's leading Formula One podcast. I'm Brian, that's Rob. I don't know what F1 is anymore, so if you could tell me we're in this weird desert. I need need an oasis. I'm parched. There's been no racing. (laughs) It It is a very bizarre gap. I mean, I kind of, I managed to muddle by last week, kind of sitting on a sun lounger in Mexico drinking non-stop beer and uh, cocktails <laughs> but um, even that didn't really plug the gap you know there's still this kind of deep burning desire to watch F1 races three races so, uh, and then goodbye I know it's it's actually more surreal than I thought it was going to be when when they announced uh, China was done and we we're going to get this China shaped hole in the calendar I was like, that's okay we get three races yeah it's a little bit of a longer break than we get between races then we back into it again but it really is the summer break uh, prequel isn't it it's <laughs> I, did Seb actually retire was he on the grid so far I don't even know what's <laughs> happened so far I don't know how to do the introduction well, anymore. I, I, I tell you what has happened and I'm gonna hit it in news and socialist Charles Leclerc is trying to steal your intro but we'll get there in a minute um, but um, let's hit what we've got this week so no race Racing, so we have to scramble for content, which we're getting very good at now. We had Molly and last, Molly last week. She was she fantastic. Was um, this week, it's something right up your street, and it's a big focus on fantasy. So uh, we'll let you um, introduce that in a minute. Um, we've got Walter on 100 Seconds of DRS. He was amazing to speak to. Um, so let's start with news and social, unless yeah. you want to go anywhere else. No, after you, man. We both brought this up, <laughs> but you hit this one. <laughs> so Charles Leclerc put out a plea. Uh, for fans to stop turning up at his uh, house and obviously people have worked out where he lives and uh, rather than just stalking him at racetracks and getting him to sign stuff or stopping him in the street they're now basically it sounds like turning up his doorbell and uh, trying to get him to come downstairs and meet and he put out a post on his Instagram um, and I just just saw this opening line okay he didn't write hey now but hey everyone everyone." (laughs) The, the, the part so first of all if you're listening to this and you happen to have Charles' address and you're in Monaco, don't go. Don't don't ring the doorbell. Um, he says, but I won't be coming downstairs if you visit my home. What? Has he been doing that? Have people been bing-bonging the doorbell and he goes down, signs an autograph, and goes back up? Yeah, it, I, I read that as well. He's finally hit the tipping point where he's like, oh, do you know what? Enough's enough. I can't be bothered to go down the <laughs> stairs anymore now. So I, I, it, I don't know. I don't know what I expected, whether I thought there would be kind of like Charles's henchman would be stood at the door and would stop anybody coming in. But it sounds like it's been open season at his house. But um, and then can very we... strange uh, message to put out there. Could Ferrari give him like an extra couple million a year so he can get a doorman building? So he doesn't have to, so someone else can intercept these crazies first as well? So what, so they'd ring on the doorbell and, and the He has like a regular say, doorbell. What, what, no, no, no. no, no don't, don't, come on, don't ruin the joke. I was setting up for a joke here, Brian. You just crushed it. Like, so people... The public ring on Charles's doorbell, and one of these uh, Ferrari-paid henchmen is going to kind of answer the door and say, "What are you here for?" Question. <laughs> <laughs> one second, we are checking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's Charles in. One second, we are checking. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Oh, oh crikey! Right, let's move on um, to something that we should have probably brought up, like what feels like months ago now, when cars are still going around tracks, but. We've got the Discord server here at the Dirty Side, and we've got a lot of people on there, and it's all good fun, and we have you know, some great times there. And then one day, a new account appeared. It dropped what can only be discussed as... Describe! Describe the word I'm after! Disgust! Man, oh my gosh. you're still in Mexico, I'm still in Mexico. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> what can only be described as just a work of art. It a is A nice, art. long poem dropped into our Discord server. Um, and I will give the first... Uh, what do they call it in a poem? What's the first thing? 
Stanza? Paragraph? Stanza, yeah, stanza, that's what I was watching for, yeah. We're going to do the first one there, uh, here, and then what I'm going to do is we're going to turn it into a nice kind of set of kind of slides that will post Instagram and Twitter and give it give it what it, sh- what it deserves, which is a, its a spot in the limelight. So it starts with, Dear Bozos, I've come to give you some flack about your pod, The Dirty Side of the Track, the number one pod for F1 racing, but one topic seems less than amazing. And it goes on like in lovely rhyme, bursts of rhymes. So both Brian and I responded and kind of said, this is great, blah, blah, blah. But the author never, never responded. So we were like, is this an account that has just come in, dropped a chat GPT, like <laughs> chat GPT, can you write a poem about Dirty Side of the Track and F1? And, and this is what it came up with and dropped it in. Because seriously, when we published this, it's that good. It's, it's so well done all the way through that we just thought, you know, maybe th- this has been generated. So fast forward uh, to the week before I went on vacation. And I'm at my um, soccer coach's uh, meeting ahead of the new season to go and pick up all the equipment. And I arrive there, and so does my assistant coach, Brian. Um, oh, another assistant called Brian. So, uh... well done. <laughs> Well done, sir. <laughs> so, talking to my assistant coach, Brian, and he's like, uh, hey, yeah, so um, I never really got any feedback on the poem. I'm like, I'm totally blank at this point because I'm not <laughs> equating him with this at all. What are you talking about? He's like, my poem on the Discord. And then, like, slowly the cogs start whirring in my brain. I'm like, you wrote that? He's like, yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Well, why didn't you respond? He's like, yeah, I'm a bit of a kind of a disc. I like to read the stuff on discord i kind of came out of the bushes dropped a poem and then homer simpson dipped back into the bushes again never to be seen again i was like dude that is so good so um we're gonna put it out there and you guys can read through it but it's uh thank you brian it it, it really is very very good and we appreciate you coming onto the discord server to drop that in there yeah it was amazing it was amazing um a little bit of news on the business side this week F1 and Paramount Plus have uh, sort of re-upped and, and made more even more serious their partnership. So you'll see more advertising at F1 venues for Paramount Plus series, movies, characters. Uh, and you'll see Paramount Plus kind of signage throughout a bunch of races. It's a multi-year deal. And they are a official partner of F1. I hope, I hope. And I don't have Paramount Plus. Um, I have all the others. That's the one streaming service I haven't collected yet in my roster of you know, budget depletion approach. But uh, I hope we see some F1 content because I know we've talked about Netflix and their series that they're launching, the Senna series. Um, We saw a note this week on Damson Idris will star as F1 driver in Top Gun Mavericks, Joseph Kaczynski's upcoming uh, F1 movie. So the guy who directed Maverick is doing an F1 movie and Lewis was an inspiration of it. So just a lot of good content coming out and I don't know where it's all going to go, but Apparently, Paramount Plus is trying to buddy up with F1 now that F1... And uh, talking about raging in F1, someone who's still raging is science about his penalty. Um, still ridiculous. Still ridiculous. Still ridiculous. But we're actually going to get some news on it uh, on the 18th. So um, I read this as the penalty review was due on the 18th, and it's it's not quite. They're not quite going to take a look at it and decide if it can overturn. This is the first hurdle they have to jump over first, which is Ferrari have to put forward, I think considerable new evidence that wasn't available at the time the stewards reviewed it in order for them to take a look at it and go there looks like there's enough there for us to take a look at it so you kind of you can't just put an appeal in f1 and say hey we don't like that result can you take another look at it the way that f1 works uh, for anybody that's new is that you have to provide clear uh, additional information that would not have been available to the stewards at the time they made their original decision so quite what that's going to be i'm not sure i think they it seems that like they're pinning a lot of their uh kind of case around 
uh, all the similar incidents that went on in and around that same thing, both at the time of the restart and earlier incidents in the same race, that all right. either got no further action yes. or didn't even get looked at by the stewards. Which so, we said on this here <laughs> podcast after the race. That was my point exactly. I know. I know. You, you absolutely were right, Brian. I hate to admit it, but you were. Well, and Ferrari's right, too. I doubt. But as we always say, ain't nothing going to happen. Yeah, so, prob- uh, well, who knows? We have seen no. these things uh, turned over before in the past. so Not this far out. It's going to happen. But we have a stat, and Rob, you brought this up. Would you like a little music? Yeah. We're going to go back old school. Sap stats done by Rob, just coming back from Mexico edition. <laughs> I saw this one literally today on uh, the, F- the Formula One Reddit subreddit, whatever it's called. And I just re- looked at it and I thought, that's a really cool stat. And it's a cool stat for a number of different things. One, uh, just the fact itself. And then two, kind of, I like the bizarro facts that kind of layer themselves into these things as well. So it says, <laughs> to this day, John Surtees remains the only driver to have won a world championship on both two and four wheels. So he won seven world championships in the 350cc and 500cc uh, motorbike uh, format. And then he made the switch to F1 and won the 1964 uh, World Drivers' Championship with Ferrari, which in itself is an amazing stat. You, I don't think anybody will ever do that again in terms of switching disciplines and, and winning both. Mm-hmm. I just don't think you can do that in this era anymore. So, But it wasn't exactly common back then either. So absolute kudos for him to, to winning that. But then the little bizarro twist on there that I love um, is he also remains this day the only Ferrari, Ferrari driver to claim an F1 title in blue. And I was like, what, he was, he was wearing blue? I don't get it. So I kind of looked at the picture that went alongside it. And it was back in the day when they used to have a lot more uh, kind of variety in the liveries and kind of have these special editions. And there it is on the picture, uh, a blue and white Ferrari, the number seven, uh, the kind of really old style kind of, it looks like a, it's not quite the bathtub on wheels, uh, version close. of F1 cars, but it's not much of a uh, deviation from it. It's just blue, blue with the Ferrari logo on the side, and uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, motorcycle slash F1 combo stat plus color of the Ferrari stat. Amazing, <laughs> amazing, and I'm sure you went and verified all this information somewhere else. Oh, I went to the font of accurate information known as Wikipedia just to back it up as well. <laughs> did you? That's pretty yes. good. Yes, <laughs> I did actually. I did fact check it because I thought I don't want to say this on the pod, and then the first thing happened either. Uh, a listener pointed out, or worse of all, you pointed out now, r- r- like in real time, that it was complete baloney. So, I would have uh, warned you before I said it. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Probably not. <laughs> so moving on, last thing before we get into the fantasy discussion is the video vault. And the teams, not being stupid, noticed that there was this big gap in the schedule and they have a bunch of good content. We have like six videos to hit and Rob has been on my case about a sound video vault. And so I decided... You know, I'm going to go with what my favorite vault opening of all time is. And I'm going to play it. It's like 25 seconds, but it's worth it. Can you figure out what this is from, Rub? What was that from, Rob? Well, I believe the correct term as the vault door opens. I look at all of that. Inf- uh, I think it was bearer bonds that were in there. I'm going to say yippee ki Mother Hubbard. <laughs> yes, that w- and 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 that was Die Hard, of course. I'll find a shorter one for the future. But you said get a good sound of a vault opening. That's a vault at Nakatomi Plaza opening up. Theo, 
who just passed away, by the way, right? Theo. So, all right, as we look at the videos, there was uh, Alpha Tauri had a Yuki Tsunoda and Nick DeVries takes on the Whisper Challenge. It's all right. I mean, they put on headphones and, and they can't hear and they try to mouth words to the other and it's five minutes. If you're big on Alpha Tauri, Nick or Yuki, hashtag Nuki, um, check it out. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. But otherwise, it was kind of meh. Not great. Um, then we had what's in the box challenge with Lewis, George and Mick on the Mercedes channel Four minutes. I loved it because it, it felt like Mick was kind of like the star here again, not the, I liked it because of Mick and the introduction of him with George and Lewis. Um, but it was, again, if you're interested, check it out. I'm sure Rob has it on repeat in the house. No, I, I did this one. I didn't even watch the full four minutes of, I had, um, uh, free Wi-Fi on the plane. So I was kind of dipping in and out of things. So I thought I tried to watch a few of these, um, Right, I love George as a driver. I love George as the memes that he gives us. But now this is my third video this year. Again, I'm trying to watch more of the videos that you yeah. put up there. It's very wooden. Yes. He's not the best person to be putting forward in these. I think Mercedes need to dine out on Mick a little bit more now they've got him Agreed. under their roof. <laughs> Mick was great. We have a couple Ferrari videos. Um, a, on the Ferrari channel, 2023 C-squared challenge. It's the music challenge with Charles and Carlos. I have been waiting for the C-squared content to come back, like at the front door of their Twitter account. Like, please, sir, may we have some more? And so they finally came back with a C-squared. It was really good. This is a must-watch. Um, they are great together. Apparently, everybody is great with Carlos. I mean, like, is he just a great teammate from Lando to Charles? But now, who doesn't love Charles Lassines? Check it out. It is definitely fun as they try. And they're competitive. So check this out as they try to win the music challenge. And then F1 had a really good one, the hilarious goggle games with Ferrari, Charles Leclerc, and Carlos Sainz. Eight minutes. And basically, they put on goggles that turn their world upside down. And so what you see is the flip. And it takes your brain a while to figure this out. And they play games. I actually had seen this done on one of the few things I actually watched outside F1, Good Mythical Morning, many years ago. Um, and so they've done this a couple times. It's really funny. Like I enjoyed this one. I don't know if you saw either of these two Ferrari ones, Rob, but I, I, I saw the both second one. It was amazing. Good. And it reminded me of, um, do you ever have to wear the, the drunk goggles as part of driver's ed? Uh, no, I did not. Uh, okay. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a newer thing. And obviously I had to take the test when I came over to the U S so I kind of had to sit in a room with a bunch of 16 year olds that have no idea how to drive. That was fun. <laughs> um, but anyway, one of the things was to kind of Im imitate what kind of, um, what will happen when you're drunk and your vision is blurred and uh, you have these drunk goggles. So it's not the same as the upside down goggles, but kind of, I knew what that was going to look like <laughs> and it makes for great content. That is, that is eight minutes worth watching and probably worth watching again. Probably. And someone on Discord, I think it was Lee, but don't quote me if I'm wrong, said uh, that should be an episode where the entire grid has to do it. It was, yes. it was really good. And then there's kind of a theme that'll come through the next three. First is dismantling the Australian F1 circuit. It's on a channel I found called Steph's World. Um, it's seven minutes. And we'd actually talked on Discord in a little bit here about the building of the Aussie GP. This was actually them kind of starting to take it down. And it's a couple folks like riding their bike and scooter around as through the park, Albert Park, as they're dismantling portions of the track and they go down the start finish line. It was really neat. Like I just, I learned things from what kind of watching the race track from a different vantage point. I thought it was seven minutes. It was worth it. Um, but kind of the idea of building the race, or at least, you know, for the Aussie taking it apart, I found a channel called Alex Gillon, 
channel. I probably mispronounce that. What is Monaco like two months before the race? And so, you know, you we all enjoy, at least I enjoy watching Monaco, but we all hear the stories how quickly they put the racetrack together and how it's pre-assembled, you know, pieces, buildings, parts, and they bring it in on trucks and they can do it so quickly. But two months out, there's they walk through the entirety of the racetrack, you know, well before Monaco is going to be there. I learned a ton on this from sort of a, you know, a, a walker's eye view through the racetrack. First of all, wicked close to the water. I, I did not understand how close. I mean, I, it's obvious that they're very close to the marina. But what I didn't understand was it's a matter of feet. You know, mm. some of the barricades, it's feet beyond it into the water. It's not like 10 feet. There's not like room for a car or a scooter. I mean, it's like a foot and a half in certain places. It is in, intense. And then two, there are stores inside the tunnel. Like when you're yeah. in the tunnel, there's actual stores on the inside of it that you can so, kind of check out. I know you've done this before in your life, right? Yeah, and I can't remember if I told it on one of our very early episodes or whether I've just told you the story or not. But um, I love this video because it took me right back. Um, my wife was studying as part of her French degree. She had to spend some time down in the south of France and she was uh, in Nice. And I went down to join her for a weekend and we went to Monaco for the day. Um, we got off the bus and it takes a while to get your bearings when there's no track there, but you've got the little kind of little miniature flip top kind of like, I want to call them manhole covers, but they're not. They're for the putting the barriers in. So once right. you find those, you can just kind of walk, keeping an eye on those to work out where, as the random r roads cross, where the track's actually going to be. But yeah, going down, walk, taking a, uh, on foot, doing a lap, and then coming around uh, the famous hairpin in front of the hotel. The red and white blocks are there all year round the curb stone so that makes it really cool that's kind of so like cool the, i know i've seen those but the tunnel was the thing the two things that got me the things you highlight here how close the water is and the tunnel and the tunnel just for how damn long it is when you're walking it <laughs> you know on a race they come down the final corner they put the power down it's kind of like blink and you miss it and we always we're, we're familiar with the onboard camera shot where the drivers have to adapt to the darkness of the tunnel to the and light the, to sun. the sun as they hit it and it feels right. like it's like what two seconds yeah, two seconds ago, whatever it is, 200 miles an hour, that takes a hell of a lot longer to walk through. <laughs> and I bought a pair of cufflinks in one of those stores at the end of the tunnel. Did you really? Yeah, I got a pair of Monaco cufflinks, the Cresta Monaco. That's amazing. Well, this video I thought was great, so check it out. And I'm going to continue the construction theme uh, on the Aston Martin channel, Taking Shape, Aston Martin F1 team, new factory update for 2023. It's eight minutes. I like this. Now, this one might be just... Like, you may have to want to see this one. Um, they kind of walk through the way they're redoing the current factory, um, you know, rebuilding the factory, and then the way they're shifting around some of their buildings around it. I was waiting for the wind tunnel because if I remember right, and I could be wrong on this, they'd been renting. I mean, Aston Martin, you know, prior to this hasn't had money. Um, they'd always kind of been, you know, the scrappiest team, Racing Point and Force India and so on. So, um they were renting, I believe, renting wind tunnel time, and they're building their own wind tunnel. And they actually show you it kind of coming together. It's still outdoors as they get a lot of the foundation pieces done and in. But I thought it was kind of neat just to kind of see the way they were creating it, structuring it, and what, what's, what's coming next. We even saw Lawrence Stroll's office um, as they're putting the, the AV into it. So I thought it was neat. If you're interested at all in construction, in Aston, in team headquarters, or wind tunnels, um, give it a watch. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs>
I read your blurb about uh, watching them construct an office, and I was like, I'm going to go and watch the Monaco one again. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. So that was really all we had this week on the news and social items. The videos kind of kept us buoyed as we went through. Please don't go to Charles' house. Um, But now let's talk a little bit about fantasy. We had the opportunity, and I'll introduce them here in a second, uh, to have a couple folks who are well-credentialed when it comes to fantasy join us and kind of talk a little bit about where we see the game today and what opportunities are for all of us to do better with our teams good box box all right so we are super excited to have a conversation about fantasy f1 fantasy and as anyone who listens regularly knows it's something i really enjoy a lot rob vale enjoys a little less than me but enjoys uh he has qualms with the game and so today, to make sure that uh, the two bozos are joined by two people who know what they're doing, we have Andy and Rob. And Andy is a, is a frequent contributor to our Discord and finished, where did you finish last year in the fantasy game, Andy? Well, which league do you want? The Global League or, or the Dirty Side League? Well, how about, well, the Dirty Side, you were well, first, but how about the well, yeah, Global that's League? The, that's the important one, isn't it? Uh, global, <laughs> global League, only 26. No, I didn't win that one. But only 26. Yeah, I finished second because of Andy. So thanks, buddy. And then... <laughs> just, just just quick clarification, not second in the world. <laughs> no, second in our league. I was 333rd in the world, but that's a different story. And then the the expert here of the analysis of the game, uh, we have Rob from F1 Fantasy Hub. Rob, how are you, man? Thanks, Sap. I'm good. Good to obviously join this panel of experts for a robust discussion about fantasy. I mean, how robust can it get after the last kind of few weeks or months with the game at the moment? But... Yeah, looking forward to chopping it up with you guys. Well, we're happy you joined us. And um, I almost forgot Formula One existed now. It's been such a long spring break at this point. Was There were, there were three races that really happened? I can't remember. But we're going to jump in and kind of get you guys' thoughts. Andy and Rob, you know, just F1 as a whole before we jump straight into fantasy. You know, what have you in, sort of watched and enjoyed so far in 23, the three races? Are there things that you have on your radar that you're kind of keeping an eye on? Um, I'm going to start, Rob, if it's all right, I'll start with you, kind of get some of your thoughts on the seasons. Yeah, I think the obvious one for me is obviously the Aston Martin narrative. I, I just think having them contend with the, the other big three teams and add some variety to that conversation has probably been the most interesting storyline for me through the first three races. Obviously, Alonso has been performing well above even what I thought would be possible this early in the season. Uh and, you know, we've also seen Stroll. I mean, he's obviously not in the same kind of category as Alonso, but he's put in a couple of really solid performances too. So that's the standout kind of narrative for me so far. But I think the sheer dominance of Red Bull is, I mean, I, I can see Max running away with this quite clearly, no matter what direction you think Perez will go for the remainder of the season. But it, it just echoes a lot of Mercedes dominance from years gone by as well that we could be seeing another few years of, of Red Bull's monopoly over the sport. So Rob, I guess a, f- a follow-up to that is when you mentioned Stroll, I always kind of, maybe I didn't have Stroll held in the right esteem, but when he came back that first race, you talked about Alonso and, and then Stroll, when he came back that first race and in practice couldn't hold the wheel and had a, he couldn't even navigate the first corner, um, in practice, but then made it through the race with basically broken wrists. Yeah. Um, like, what did that sort of do to, to your perspective on Stroll? Maybe he was your favorite driver going in. I don't know. But uh, for me, I thought that was pretty impressive. 
I think from my perspective, he's probably one of the more misunderstood drivers on the grid. I, I just think he in the past hasn't, because he's coming from daddy's money, hasn't obviously had that reputation, unlike other drivers where he is well liked. But I think we'll see you know, what he's truly capable of in a competitive car this season. And we've seen drives from him in the past in the wet. Uh, for instance, is he's been able to turn in some excellent performances that you probably just wouldn't expect from a midfield driver um, in those seasons gone by. So I I really think, you know, he's got every opportunity to challenge for top fives week in, week out with that car. And um, I think we'll see the best of Lance Stroll in 2023 for sure. Now, it's, it's interesting you say that because we pretty much spoke to Molly uh, last week about that exact same thing. And I kind of humble pie a little bit that I'm with you, kind of my view of Stroll is really changed into thinking he's a good driver and you mentioned that you think that we're going to see some red bull dominance so i think you know me and you are both agreeing on a lot of things here so we're actually what we're actually we're disproving the old theory and two robs do make a right <laughs> but oh, God. i don't have a sound effect for a groan but now i gotta go download one that's all i got i'm still giddy from coming in so late on the flight last night that i'm i'm drained that's it my joke's done i'm gonna have a little sleep while you guys talk uh, andy andy how about you my friend what have you seen so far in the first three races that's been uh intriguing to you yeah similar stuff to rob really i mean i'll say i'm, I'm not the biggest fan of red bull or max Verstappen. you could probably flip that around and say well not not quite the biggest hater but anyway um <laughs> but so i've not been enjoying that aspect but yeah the, the fight behind them has, has been absolutely fascinating to watch um with ferrari can they actually finish a race um mercedes are, are they fast or are they slow we i'm still not sure uh and aston martin just being there all the time uh, i've been really impressed by alonso picking up the podium every race and i'm interested actually did he last race yeah anyway, he's had I'm third every I'm, single time there you go. I'm interested to see if he can keep that up or whether uh, Mercedes are going to actually be ahead of them with their big change coming up, which I want to say they are bringing the big change to Baku. I think so. That's what the rumor had been. So that's the next race sometime this calendar year, I think two, three months from now, we'll have another yeah. race. I can't remember. But uh, um, okay, interesting. So I agree. I'm curious to see kind of where Mercedes is so far. And, and I guess for both of you, any things, and, and Andy, this might have been your answer, but anything you're watching the next you know, 20 races we have in front of us, any particular team or driver you kind of keep your eye on just for fun, even, you know, if it's not your favorite, but something that's intriguing you as we go forward. Well, yeah. So Mercedes is, is, is the first one um, to see where they'll be with, with, with the, the new package. Cause they have said there's quite a significant redesign. So obviously at the start, it's maybe not going to be quite as good because they haven't refined it yet. Um, but I, Considering their current package is, you know, they're in the, in the fight for second best. If they're going bringing in a package that they think is going to upgrade them, then will that bring them closer to Red Bull? Maybe, maybe not this season. Maybe next season. And the other thing is the Aston Martin versus Red Bull story. We've got to do it early enough to get a title fight, but we'll see. All right, I, we lost you for a second there. Anybody came through? I got it. I got it at the end. So thanks. It'll be fascinating to see what they do. Rob, how about how about you, man? Like, what is a similar thing? Aston Martin, Red Bull. Like, what are you interested in going forward? Yeah, I, I think yeah, Aston Martin. As I said before, it's definitely the most interesting storyline. Just seeing Alonso have a renaissance after so many wrong turns in the past to finally be in a car where we can see what he's you know what we what we know and love about him as a driver as well as just the personality in the paddock so uh really excited for that it's just 
it's it's kind of I mean to Andy's point a shame that Red Bull are likely to run away with it because we all love how close and competitive that title race two years ago was um and last season I mean it was pretty much a, a, a foregone conclusion most of the way once Red Bull, uh, once Ferrari kind of made all of those mistakes last season you know Mercedes for instance were able to pull back for the second half of the season quite well and I really hope to Andy's point again they're able to kind of discover a few upgrades that make them more competitive from say the fourth or fifth race and not from say the 10th or the 12th race of the season. So Hamilton, I think, you know, as, as was the case last year, we hope he's able to kind of really give it to the rebels, make it a season. Yeah. And, and this, and this will segue us into kind of the discussion on fantasy, but, and this is my frustration this year with the game. Then I'll let you guys, cause you know a lot more about it than me talk about why or how you think it's broken, but on one hand, we really should be looking at a really varied, great game because we've got Aston Martin coming into the mix out of nowhere. We've got Ferrari, will they, won't they come back? We've got Mercedes lurking in there as well. We've probably got a couple of other teams that are kind of threatening to break into the at least the points on a regular basis, if not maybe challenge for that uh, higher end of the midfield or maybe a podium. So we've got a nice spread there through there. So we should see a really varied uh, setup. But we don't, because there's almost a template now that almost everybody's had to gravitate towards. And unless something massive happens, like we really see, say, Mercedes taking it to everybody and Aston falling off, all that will really happen, in my view, is the template switch changes and everybody drops Aston and brings in Ferrari. But you can't not have as much stock into Red Bull as possible. And, And that, to me... I don't know. I don't know. I, I might just be quiet now and hand over to you no. guys to say, like, where's it broken? And you why? nailed it. I mean, that is that's exactly it. And so I'm going to go to Fantasy Hub, Rob. But like Rob, like he Rob's right. There's a, there is a template. You nailed it before week one. You basically said, you know, if this pace is true, you almost have to consider triple Red Bull, triple Aston, and then who fills in the last driver spot. And you've been pushing this from the beginning and since. And you've highlighted the deficiencies in the game because of this, but it's basically like a revolving spot. Is it Joe in the other spot? Is it Hulk? Or is it uh, Logan the Sergeant? <laughs> um, like, who do you put into that last driver spot? And so, like, you know, Rob, have you seen the same thing that Rob Vale just talked about? And how do you see this getting fixed at any point this year? I, I I mean, you could tackle it a number of different ways and I'm not an expert when it comes to the back end of recalibrating a fantasy game, but I think realistically the only way we're going to see this triple Rebel, triple Aston Martin template broke up is if they did a hard reset of all the prices, um, whether that's over the mid-season break or at another point in the season. That's the only way I can see right now that the game is viable and playable again because to your point it was pretty obvious even before the first race of the season what the popular lineup was going to be and i i think stroll's broken wrists was the only point of contention for me <laughs> in that first race as to whether i'd go with him or Bottas. i think he was the other driver i was thinking about at the time so it's yeah it's I, I, let's just say after what we saw last season, I didn't think we'd be in the same situation, even maybe even worse um, three races in or from the first race of the season. And I know Andy was quite vocal on F1 fan voice about the preseason testing and how that factors into what the prices should be. But it's, yeah, there's probably a lot 
were a lot more worse with the game than I would have liked for a, a game five years into its kind of yeah yeah. So bringing you in, Andy, then so we'll let you kind of give your point as well. But I'd like you to open with answering: Did they basically screw the pooch when they set Alonso at his opening price? Because for anybody well, not- who didn't see, he was given that everything we'd seen was going to allude to the fact that he was going to be so fast, he came in at being like, what was it, 8 million or some 8.3 maybe? Like, yeah. you were easily going to be able to afford him. <laughs> they like almost priced him on last year's Aston Martin performance, it almost felt like to me. But that's, anyway, that's exactly what they've done. That's exactly what they've done. And it's something that really, really annoys me because I actually had an interview with F1, you know, a feedback interview um, with a market research company doing stuff for F1 Fantasy asking my thoughts and the biggest one i said was wait until pre-season testing and use that to set the prices and what did they do well they waited until after pre-season testing before releasing the prices but they clearly set the prices based on last season's performance i mean yeah. facepalm moment it's what, what was the point in waiting that long to release the prices if you just if you're going to ignore the testing results but yeah so alonso massively underpriced absolute shoo-in if you haven't got them in your team you're just throwing away points. Same with Aston Martin at their at their current price. It's 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 a no brainer. Stroll just if Stroll finishes eighth every race, he's amazing value for money. You know, but he's actually fighting for like you know four, fifth, sixth. It, 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 it's crazy. I, I completely agree with Fancy Rob. The only way to fix it is to fix the prices. If you change their prices such that they are um, an appropriate value for money compared to other drivers, then you start getting interesting things of, well, you know, do I have Alonso and Stroll or do I sell them in order to get, you know, a much cheaper Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, whoever. Um, So, you know, you get the question of, do you have two Aston Martin drivers and one really cheap person or do you have three middle price drivers? And you kind of get all of that sort of thing coming in as long as everyone is at a similar uh points per million you know value um which they just don't have currently it's broken it is it is fascinating as you say they started from last year it feels like but last season was the kind of if you we all remember for the first half the values didn't move a ton they tried to make a move with performance and then we had like the pumping and dumping kind of thing in the second half of the season which was horrible where people would run up prices and it would just change values. It, it, al- it allowed some dynamic, you know, sort of team selections. But there were people who would just like literally manipulate it on Discord. And you would well, watch them and they'd tell you who to back. You'd get in and then ride up and then, and then get out. But it wasn't based on performance. Now they make a tiny bit of changes based on performance. But it's not at all reflective, Andy, to your point, on points per million. It's not at all reflective on the points they actually score and how much the drivers cost. Yeah, this is another, another thing of the feedback I gave them last year of you uh, absolutely need to update your values based on um, how many points they've been scoring. Um, and they've completely failed to do that. I mean, Joe has been an absolutely amazing scoring driver. Uh, he's been like, you know, best of the rest two out of the three races and still scored very good points in the third one. And his price hasn't moved at all. He's one of the cheapest drivers. He's <laughs> averaging about what? seventh or eighth best overall points for the season and he stayed as being not not, not even gone up point one a race he's literally stayed the same he should be going up at 0.5 per race alonso should be going up at 
five million per race. Right, it's it's, it's one or two million tops are the movements and we one, see. Not point one or not point two. It, it's, yeah, it's sorry, crazy. thank you. Point yeah. one, point two, yeah. exactly. And it's and it comes right after the race, and then nothing happens for in this case for a month. I'm gonna say on that. Yeah. I actually like that. That's one of the things I asked for. Well, it's I, nice that it happens, but it doesn't happen. It doesn't move enough. So then you yeah, you I'll, have this like deficient scoring system just sitting there forever. I, I agree, it doesn't move enough, but I like the fact that it doesn't move every hour. I like the fact that it's changes once per race, and because I love F1 Fantasy, don't get me wrong, but when the prices were changing crazy amounts, I literally had to be checking prices and sentiments every hour or something. Um, a bit of an obsession, um, <laughs> but you know, I did it because I was invested, but it wasn't a good use of my time. So ha- having one price change a week is much better, but because there's so little else to analyze and think about, I'm now not doing anything. But, yeah, and I'd uh, like to get uh, other Rob's thoughts on this one, which is that when we saw Dagan and the formula market and the dynamic kind of stock market nature, kind of a little idea came, came into my head where like, would it be possible to kind of almost merge the two things together to give some depth to the people that want to go deeper, but still allow the casual fan to enjoy it, which is that maybe a driver's price is set, like Andy's saying, and you get some big swings from weekly performance. So go back to, I used to play fantasy uh, football, soccer, uh, in a telegraph way back when, and they had a proper price index that went on points per million. So if a player that you'd never heard of, you would never have spent money on, is lighting up and scoring a goal every week, well, guess what? He gets really, really expensive real quick. He's not like Joe and just sits there with no movement whatsoever. So you could do that for the buying a driver. If you wanted to play with the dynamic pricing and have some kind of side stock market type thing, maybe the gains that you make there are used to buy an additional chip or, or, or something like that, which is not going to affect the price of the driver, but does allow the people that want to be nerds and sit watching sentiment 24-7 the ability to not get a massive advantage, but maybe pick up an extra whatever it might be. I don't know. What, what, what do you think about that other, Rob? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's... Um all well and good to have great ideas for a game, like any fantasy game for that matter. But the thing that F1 stressed at the start of the season was the new draft of changes they introduced was to make the game easier for new players and more simple because for what you guys have said around sentiment, you don't want to be feeling like you're online checking the prices or the drivers every day of the week. It's not efficient use of time realistically when we've all got busy lives as it is. And, I think for the most part, the, a number of the changes, if not all of them, have been quite positive for what's been implemented this season. There are tweaks, no doubt, prices aside. But um, I think a great thing last year were the streaks. I mean, I, I don't know if necessarily everyone liked them, but that was, I guess, a differentiator to keep more engaged player base you know, participating and that would be that point of difference when you bring in, say, a George Russell on a race and a qualifying streak and that extra 15 points, if you converted that, would you know, boost your rank and your total score compared to those that might lose interest after the first four or five races of the season. And at, at the end of the season, when you capitalised on, let's say, two or three or four weekends of streak points, that becomes a difference between a rank in, say, the top 5,000 versus the top 50, like... Andy and Brian kind of can talk to. So it's, um, I think, yeah, you want to have something that keeps the more engaged player base active, but you don't want to also then get to a point where you're overcomplicating the game for the sake of making it different. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a hard line, but I'm sure they've got enough brains behind the operation to figure out. Well, I mean, I'd be, I'd be curious. Yeah. You hope, you know, I'd be curious if we kind of, 
Let's take this in order of positivity. We'll start with the negative. Any other things you guys see in the game today? We've hit pricing enough, whether it's you know the dyna dynamic pricing or the impact after races or the amount it shifts or how it's relative to points. Um, we've hit that one. I have one I'd add that I'm not wild about. Um, I don't like something in the scoring where you get points for overtakes and points for grit where you start versus where you finish the delta it's almost a double dip and so when we see engine penalties now you almost have to hope and predict and bank on someone with an, a, a top team with an engine penalty or grid penalty or anything because coming through the field is more valuable than winning and so yeah. i'm not wild about doubling that i'm okay if we did overtakes or positions but i don't like having both so that's my only other real beef with the game at this point is just a little tweak in the scoring. I miss the streaks, Rob. I'm with you. And so if I have to then kind of bank on what they give us, man, I think I I think I had tripled Max and I doubled Checo and Checo was at the back or Max. Was, anyway, it was one of those weeks where they came through and I got a ton of points out of pure luck that someone in a good car started low on the grid, not that they finished high. So that's the one I'm not... I just don't, it's not quite right. It just feels a little wrong, not terribly wrong, but a little yeah. wrong. What else do you guys have that you think I, could be a little different, better today? I was going to say on that one, I see your point, but I quite like having it. I think it's something interesting to add and I just end up sitting watching, watching the race and, you know, instead of, oh, there's some, you know, minor driver passing some minor driver, who cares? I go, ooh, he's in my team. He just got an overtake. Yes, that's an extra point for me. <laughs> um, so, you know, it improved my watch, my watching but um the change that i saw that i don't like well the other one to add um they've taken out the beat teammate points now i used to really like that in for the cheaper drivers the main way they're picking up points was if they beat their teammate you get two points beating your teammate in quality three points beating them in the race and it was kind of a thing of you could bank on alex alban beating Nicholas Latifi, for example, and go, okay, Alvin's not going to finish high in the race. He's not going to score lots of points from that. But as long as he consistently beats his teammate, he can get me enough points to make him worth his price. And they've taken that out. And so it's now even more of a, you know, random crapshoot as to who's actually going to, who at the back is going to score any good points or not. Yeah, it is very much, I guess, a, a, a luck of the draw with which budget driver does well. I know there's obviously some thought that goes into your qualifying simulation paces and whatnot every weekend, but it has been a you know, a one in four stab as to which driver under five million is going to score more than five points um, every week. And there's just a not yeah not enough differentiation or enough variety for us to really feel like we can mix up our selections week to week. After like what we've talked about with Joe, you know, Two races of 15 points each through the first three. It's a logical choice for all of us to probably roll with him for the next race. But I think um, another thing I also don't necessarily like about an, a scoring adjustment is the DNF penalty, which is, I think, now minus 20. I think it was, my, was it minus 10 last season? Don't quote me on that. I think it went from minus 15 to minus 10. Sorry, sorry it was minus 15. It's now minus 20. Sorry. Minus 20, yeah. So, um I just think that's way too harsh, no matter what kind of how you spin it. It's a, a, a race or a sport, should I say that? I'd say at least two to three drivers every race is, are not going to finish the race. I don't, And it's very much to a degree based on well, mechanical issues, one, but a, a number of times it's also just 
a racing incident that you you have absolutely no idea of how that's going to happen or when it's going to happen and you know you might have a take for instance stroll or alonso they'll do they have a really great qualifying they'll be close to the top of the field to start and then the first or second lap they're in the wall or they're clipped from behind and minus 20 kind of eradicates all of the points that you'd score on the saturday which i mean is not enough nearly to offset what the penalty would be on the Sunday. Yeah, I, I agree with that so much because, I mean, if you're expecting your driver to finish, let's say third, you're expecting them to pick up 15 points for finishing third, um, possibly making a couple of overtakes, depending on, you know, in, in the pit window if they've pitted before other people, um, maybe getting fast lap. So you're talking 15 to 20 points. If they DNF, you've already lost that 15 to 20 points. Getting whacked with another 20 points loss on top of it, it's massive. Mm. So... Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. A great point. So now let's, as we said, we're going to build positivity, right? <laughs> we're getting everyone excited about the game, even though we've highlighted some issues that could be fixed. And someone needs to send this to F1 uh, so they listen and, and work on it. But there are, I think, a lot of positives this year. And Andy, you highlighted one. I just would like to reiterate it. I love the fact the pricing changes relatively quickly after the race and that you don't have to follow throughout the week as sentiment changes and as the prices change. I like the kind of, it's going to change, we have the number, and then you don't have to sweat and you think more about the strategy. So for me, I just made enough money based on the team where I can, if I wanted, my fifth driver uh, could be Albon. And so I just got in the Albon window and I didn't have to sign up for him a month before Baku because I know his price isn't going to change. Am I going to go Albon? I don't know. But it's now he's in the conversation with Joe and Hulk and everybody else in, in that driver spot. And I like the fact that I, I know that because it's set. So I agree with you. I like the set aspect. But Rob, I'd actually ask you, you know, do you like the chips in particular? Because those are, some of those are new. Um, and then how have you seen people talking about those? Yeah, it's I think introducing more chips than what we had last season is a good thing. I'd say six is probably a little too much. Uh, I, there are, you know, a couple that I think are really good. I personally, I know this is quite a polarizing chip, but the limitless one, because it gives you on a sprint race weekend, the opportunity to pretty much maximize your point ceiling um, for you know, the five or six most, uh, well, the, the strongest drivers on the grid for that one weekend. Extra DRS and wildcard, I think, are pretty much staples of this game and have been for a little while. The one that I'm not particularly fond of is the no negative because it is quite speculative in a sense that yes you can activate it at a street circuit or at a track um, which has a high dnf rate or later in the season when drivers and um, teams are experiencing more mechanical failures but i I still think it is certainly more speculative and it it, there there were people that i knew that activated at saudi arabia i gave it serious consideration there and we didn't really see that that much in the way of dns occur so I, i mean I personally don't think that is as valuable as some of the other ones, but I know that some people are quite fond of it too. Um, Final fix, that's another one I'm, I'm still not sure about, but I guess I'm, I'm the kind of person that I want to kind of give myself a bit more information as the season goes on and formulate a plan as to when's best to use it. But Andy, I feel like... Yeah, you... I was going to say, Andy looked like he was raring to come in. And just before yeah. I hand to you, Andy, I was going to say the... Um... The one, the the chip for uh, avoiding the DNF penalties, that that almost feels like it's the giving and taking away, isn't it? So we're gonna we're gonna up the points for DNFs, but the kind of we've got this little uh, chip you can play uh, every now and again to avoid all of that. It's like, yeah, just just don't give me as many negative points and, and keep the chip. 
But go on, Andy, what did you want to say? Yeah, the, the, there's something I didn't think of myself. I, I read it on Twitter. Uh, I can't remember which account it was he pointed out. But when you play your no negative, what you're basically hoping is that somebody in the template is going to DNF because then you're not going to get the negative points for them. But everyone else who is also running the template, which is everyone you're competing with, is going to get the negative points. So basically, when you play the no negative, you're hoping that your drivers will DNF. <laughs> which is just so counterintuitive. So, uh, so a bit like you cheering each of the overtakes, you're sitting at home, and then when like Alonso spins out, you're like, yes, in the wall, Alonso! The whole race, yeah. you're like, is that, is that smoke from the back of the Aston Martin? I think that's smoke this time. So yeah, I, I don't like that aspect of it. And yeah. Actually, it's a problem I have with uh, another problem I have with it. I also have with autopilot. Of there's a good chance that when you play either no negative or autopilot, it's going to make no difference whatsoever. Yeah. Um, by the time you're taking quali points and maybe a few overtakes um, before having a DNF, then no negative. You know, you might have only scored negative two, negative three anyway. There's a top driver. And with autopilot, well, it's obvious to put your DRS, your, your points doubler on Verstappen. So unless it happens to be a race where either Verstappen DNFs or Perez has a grid penalty and moves up lots, in which case you can you know, automatically pick the right one. But majority of the time, you're going to have your DRS on the right person anyway. So. And, I, and just, I'm going to, for anyone who may be newer to fantasy, I just want to be abundantly clear. When we say the template, it basically means you have Red Bull and Aston Martin as your constructors. You have both Red Bull drivers, Max and Checo, and both Aston Martin drivers, Lance and Fernando. And then the last driver is a bit of a wild card. And so the template is triple Aston, triple Red Bull, and then and then, and then then a fifth uh, driver who's is obviously under about five million bucks, give or take. And so it, it's, it's been the most effective lineup and it's just who you have in that last spot and it and given the pricing that we've uh, wind on about um it's going to be the most effective for a while until something happens and rob you're right you know at this point if you have red bull and aston on your teams if you have triple you can't get it's not as though they're going to get priced out of your lineup because you already have them so that'll be what most people have the rest of the way unless we see upgrades really making a difference and these let's hope we do um but so i guess you know as we kind of talk about the current game last thing on the current game what are your guys' strategies going forward? So all the listeners can kind of can kind of tune in. I'll tell you what mine is. It's the template. But so, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, the templates are given. It, it, it's the it's the chips that are where strategy is going to come in. I think. Yeah. Well, it's more about that, Andy. So, w- what are you thinking about? You're going to use them at particular times. So, there's a, well, let's talk about the, the the big ones. The extra DRS. And, and the limitless are for me the, the big chips that are really going to make the difference. So the extra DRS, I, I, I was quite proud of myself pre-season. I managed looked through all the scoring thing and I worked out that rather than sprint races, the way somebody was going to score the most was when they got that engine penalty, um, putting them to the back of the grid, and they're going to move through the field, get lots of get positions gained points and lots of overtake points. And so I was thinking pre-season that might be where I play extra DRS. And every fantasy account on Twitter, including yourself, Fantasy Rob, sorry, uh, was talking about using a sprint race. And I was thinking, aha, I'm not going to say this to anyone and I'm going to <laughs> going to clean up. 
and, and then race two, um, oh, race one, Red Bull are so far ahead, and it's like, yes, I'm right. Red Bull are going to make up loads of places when they have an engine penalty. And then race two, Max has his dodgy qualifying, starts 15th and moves through and proves me right. And race three, Perez has um, dodgy qualifying, starts 20th and moves through and proves me right. And then every fantasy account on Twitter goes, by the way, everybody, you should be saving your extra DRS for uh, an engine penalty race rather than the sprint race that we previously advised. So um, that's a good tip. Um, and if you're very lucky, like SAP, you've already picked it and did your triple DRS on Max Verstappen in race two. That might be the best score we see all season. I don't know. Well done, Rob. But Rob, SAP? Yeah, I'll, I'll, take, I'll it. take it. I mean, I didn't play it, but I'll take it. <laughs> I got lucky. I got. I didn't want to play it so early, but I got tired of the template. And I'm like, it, literally, if this continues, you'll see me doing goofy stuff because I, it's, I'd rather have fun than just try yeah. to grind out a, a you know, 300th place again. It's, I don't know. Well, yeah. What's one thing that can just work for any strategy is kind of doing the contra strategy, doing something different to everybody right. else. Because if everybody else is going to do the same thing, then everyone's going to score the same points as you, more or less. Yeah. If you can find something that you can do a bit different, I mean, chances are it, it might not work. And if it doesn't work, then you're you're going to finish quite low down. But if it does work, ta-da, you're catapulted yeah. right to the front. So. Yeah, I agree. Rob, what about you? What are some things uh, you'd recommend for listeners to kind of think about as the year works? Yeah, I have to echo Andy's sentiment there. It's it's pretty obvious after those grid penalties that the, the points potential on those weeks for a Red Bull driver, for example, is going to be probably higher than um, what we'd see on a sprint race. I do want to see at least one to two sprint race weekends just to see what the point spread is before I absolutely lock myself into one strategy or another. But and just looking at the scores here, you know, it's um, max. Yeah, 61, Perez 52 in the last two weeks. It's pretty clear cut, you know, what the points on offer is each week. I think for um, Limitless, it's probably still going to be a sprint race for me unless there's a particular reason why I decide to go otherwise. If it's like you say, for the sake of going different um, on another weekend, but it's for, for me, um, given I am like pretty vocal with my strategies on Twitter, I, I don't want to obviously mislead people with saying one thing and then going behind everyone's back and doing another thing off <laughs> off the record. So I don't think that would look too good either. Um, as that, for, that's your burner account that does that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's um, that's probably the strategy. As for the remaining chips, um, no negative final fix, autopilot, I think... Um, I'll just kind of play them by ear. And as for wildcard, I'm probably going to hold that at least until the halfway mark in the season uh, or until such time that we do, if we get actually, lucky. Until we actually want to make a substitution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's just no need for, for that at the moment. I, I mean, in the off chance, F1 change the game mid-season and we see um, prices reset, the template goes out the window and there's more variety with our team selection than I think having the wildcard to use on or around that point in time would be useful, but there's obviously no indication at the moment to suggest that's going to happen. So I'm just going to hold that one as long as I need to and then make adjustments on the fly. My, uh, I'm not that I have much strategy because, as you know, I just kind of randomly do this, but um, <laughs> I was looking at the, um, the no negative and the autopilot, and for me they kind of scream Monaco to me because then I get the safety that I go all in on like the, uh, you know, the template or what have you. But because so much random stuff happens there and so many people collect the wall and we get so many DNFs, then you can at least be happy. You're not going to get uh, the negatives for your DNFs. And if it's say you, you've, 
Max crashes out, but your fifth place, it's the Joe or it's the Albon or whoever comes through and scores some crazy points that you would never have thought of, then Autopilot's going to automatically stick it on there for you. So to me, those two just scream Monaco and maybe other chaotic circuits. But um, yeah, yeah, Baku maybe. You never know. And so, I mean, there's a lot to see and watch throughout the rest of the year. It is, it is, I enjoy it, even if it is sort of the template now. Now I'm hopeful when the races start again, we'll start to, you know, see something happen. A team will bring an upgrade sooner or later, and we'll start to see some of the prices not be the driver of some of the challenges and instead have to make tough selections, which the differentiation I think we're talking about. But there are other alternatives to the F1 game out there. And just quickly to hit a couple, one of them, is a friend of all of ours, uh, Dagan, and the Formula Market. You should check it out at formulamarket.com. Um, and I'll give his Twitter handle here. It's also at formula underscore market. Uh, you should check that out. But it, it, he's sort of resetting his game. And right now that he's adjusting total values, he's adjusting daily returns. There's a lot of opportunity to kind of make your team differentiated from others and how the pricing works. And he saw quickly, you know, the max return being outsized through the early part of the year and made some edits. So if anyone's interested, check that out. As I said, theformulamarket.com. And just um, before you move on from yeah. that, Brian, and for anybody that doesn't know what the formula market is, it's essentially uh, the NASDAQ of um, F1 drivers. So he's just taking, it's like a stocks and shares approach. So both myself and Brian are in there having a bit of fun on it. We kind of helped kind of pilot it out last year and it really is you kind of load into the stocks that you want and you watch kind of the real-time return on them so it's a completely different spin on it but um i think it's really cool sorry brian what else did you have no i was going to turn it to the guys because that's the only other one that i actually participate in i don't know if there's something that either of the two of you also do uh that's fun but uh just a chance to kind of talk about alternatives i i personally i i mean i have done um F1 Fantasy on a couple of other platforms. Um, but I think for me personally, as someone that's churning out content on Twitter and YouTube, where the player base is 1.75 million plus this season, uh, it's just hard for me to justify spreading my time across more than one platform if the majority of my following is kind of concentrated to, to the official game. So I still think even though it does have its flaws, it's the most popular game for a reason. and will be something I kind of stick to for the foreseeable future. But to, to the points you've made about Formula Market, I think it's a, an awesome spin on like a classic fantasy game. So I, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, that evolve and Dagan, I'm sure will share all of those updates as they come through. And Andy, just before we throw it over to you, just, just something you just said then, Rob, kind of it had Christian Horner's quote from last year, was it, come into my head about um, he'd rather have uh, an unreliable fast car that all he has to do is make it reliable than have a reliable car that he needs to make fast. And I think the official, although we kind of beat up on the, the pricing, we've, we've actually all spoken quite positively about other aspects of the official game. So it does feel that it's a fast car that's just unreliable at the moment. And if they could just fix it and make that tweak yeah. to it, I think it would be absolutely awesome. But uh, yeah, that kind of just came into my head as you said that. So Andy, what about yourself? Do you play anything else? Or, you know, now that you don't have to check sentiments 24-7, have you got time to play other games? Yeah, so the other one I am playing is Fantasy GP. I think it's fantasygp.com. Um, you pick three uh, teams, three drivers, um, but you also have to do predictions every race. So it does require a little bit of, you know, it's not really one you can casually set and forget about, um, but it's predicting the three podium places, pole position, fastest lap, how many safety cars there'll be, and one other random question. So it's it's a fantasy meet prediction game um scoring points for both which is 
Well, so guys, I just like to say thanks. You know, we heard about alternatives. We heard about strategies. We heard about options for kind of going forward. This was awesome. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't highlight both of you guys. So at Andy Tails, A-N-D-Y-T-A-I-L-S, and Rob is at F1 Fantasy Hub. Um, both great follows. Uh, Rob, I love the strategies you put out there in the discussions. Uh, we've been, you know, I think we talked, what, it was like middle of last year, and it's just been fun to watch you kind of continue to take off because I think the content you have there and, and others uh, is tremendous. So uh, I would just say thanks to both you guys for joining us. And Rob Vale. Are you going to get any better than you are so far now that you've had the session with two experts? No, probably not, because I'm just <laughs> going to join you on the template and then try to get lucky in Monaco. <laughs> oh, so, okay, so that's fine. Um, guys, thank you both so much. This was tremendous. Really appreciate your time. No, you're welcome. Thank you for having us. Box, box. Thanks so much again to Rob and Andy for joining us. That was, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I know you did too, Rob, and that was, uh, it was a great time. So guys, thanks for making the time to join us uh, for that conversation. Yeah, I agree. Really enjoyed that. And like I said, you know, we were trying not to beat up on the game too much. And I think our, you could probably say that our collective passion for tearing down the worst bits come from a deep rooted frustration that we just wish it was better because it's so close to being uh, really, really good that if they right. could just fix those things, um, and I think if the game was fundamentally garbage, then we wouldn't care and we wouldn't be so vocal about it. Uh, no, good discussion. Um, I do wish I could be a bit better at it. Um, and I'm going to still hide behind the fact that it's because the game's broken, which is why I wish at it. So I kind of <laughs> don't want them to fix it because then I'll lose one of my excuses. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, that was great talking to them. What was also great was talking to Walter. Uh, Walter came on uh, a couple of weeks ago now and we had a good chat with him and he then took on the 100 seconds of DRS. So let's take a little listen in to see how we got on talking to listener Walter. Box, box. Well, we put out the shout to ask for people to sign up to come and do the 100 seconds of DRS, and you have answered in your thousands. And the one, the lucky one at the top, whose name came out first, was Walter. So welcome to the dirty side of the track, Walter. Well, thank you. It's uh, truly a pleasure to be here. I I'm really excited. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and I'm very glad to be a part of it. And would encourage anyone else who's you know thinking about it, just do it. Because these two gentlemen, Rob and Brian, they're genuine in it. They they really want people on the air or on the podcast. And I know that because they've had me on and I'm, who am I? I'm just, I'm nobody, like literally nobody. And here I am. So uh, thank you, gentlemen. Well, no we are we're also nobody. We'll, we'll, so. we'll Venmo you the $10 later. So <laughs> thanks for that little plug. Uh, <laughs> We were uh, we were chatting before, um, like we tend to do with everyone that comes on, just to kind of learn a little about uh, a little bit about you before we press record, and yeah. um, absolutely fell in love with your backstory. So we're going to have to ask it again now. If you wouldn't mind sharing with everybody, how did you first get into Formula One? Well, I'm I'm very happy to share that because I I think it's a good one, and and everybody's story is, but for me, there's there's really a a full circle nature to it. So. Uh, back in 1988, uh, my family had a family friend living in Germany. That family friend was a Canadian citizen, but of German descent. And he was teaching in all places at a Canadian military base in Germany. There was such a thing. It's no longer there. 
And so we went over to visit the family friend. Uh, and he and my father were friends when they were in high school together. Uh, that family friend was an auto mechanics teacher. And he and my father shared a love of all things automotive, especially cars. And so that friend took us to the German Grand Prix. So my very first exposure to F1 was going to the 1988 German Grand Prix in Hockenheim, who in that race, eventually the winner was Ayrton Senna. Wow. Set the pole, won the race, and the car, for, for anyone who doesn't know, was a legendary car. It was the McLaren MP44. That car won 15 of 16 races that year. So an absolute legendary driver, a pretty legendary track, and, and certainly a legendary car. That was the very first time that I saw F1. So what it's okay it, as beginnings go, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what, did it, what did it sound like? Like, so I'm a big fan of the sound of, of historically of the cars. And yeah. occasionally when I'm given a 15 second interlude in the uh, episode, I'll play an old Ferrari V10. Okay. You know, kind of making the rounds. What did it yep. sound like at Hockenheim in the forest with those cars blasting by? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. And I guess also for context, we were, fortunate in that we were sitting on the, uh, not right on the start finish line, but in the grandstand on that main sort of straight, or that's a, is that the main straight, but that the start finish straight, nevertheless. And so before the race started, the, the family friend, he leans over to us, I think even the day before we went to the race, you know, it was like, these cars are loud. And he, forget this. What he said was, you could stab the person next to you in the heart and nobody would hear that person scream. That's allowed the cars. <laughs> That's awesome. amazing. That's amazing. So, so then how, like, have you followed F1 ever since? Like what's been your sort of, you know, level of participation watching uh, since then? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, interestingly, despite that rather historic iconic start to watching in 88, and I guess, the full circle nature of that story too, later on, many years later, uh, living in Seoul, South Korea, I would see that very same car again, Senna's 1988 McLaren MP44 in a traveling X1 X, uh, traveling F1 exhibition uh, to try to drum up support and interest in F1 in Korea because they were hosting a race. So my, my affinity for F1 started in 88 and it's it sort of, didn't wasn't strong after that to be honest i was you know i was young and just you know the coverage back then was very different it wasn't as yeah. easy to see on tv and it wasn't as interesting or entertaining so for a young person uh, although i enjoyed that race i didn't really follow it um closely again until 2004 when i was living in australia and i was a student so i didn't have a lot of money didn't have a good cable package and really the only thing on tv was cricket swimming or F1. And I'm like, Oh, I remember <laughs> F1. I used to watch that. So I got back into it in 2004. And I've seen I think literally every race since. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. You know that the availability of it, it's so different, I guess, of everything in today's world. But you know, the availability of it and to follow it, I remember watching on the there was a thing back at back in the day called the George Michael sports machine here in the US and it was on on Sunday nights. And when okay. I was a kid, it would be it was they had this massive computer with like four buttons, which I'm sure had less power than an iPhone today. And he would like pull up the clips and he would play some F1. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Now, I didn't really get into it, get into it yet. Right. But I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of that availability of it. So that's really, it worked well, I guess, for you when you were in Australia. 
Yeah, it did. Um, and the funny thing was when we landed, my wife and I were studying there. When we landed in Australia, we didn't, I mean, we planned ahead very much so for our studies and everything else, but I, I wish we'd planned a little bit wider because I think we landed the week before the Australian Grand Prix that year. And so if we had planned it a bit better, we could have went to that, you know, yeah. um, ultimately we didn't, which was unfortunate, but I have seen six Grands Prix in my F1 fan career. Of course, 88 Hockenheim. I saw 2006 Shanghai, Schumacher's last win. Wow. And then I saw four years of the Korean Grand Prix, 2010, 11, 12, and 13, when, when they were hosting it. Amazing. That's a, not a bad list of races to have seen, to be honest. Well, I'm yeah. So, so jealous. So, so jealous. Because if, uh, you know, if you've listened along, like you said, you kind of discovered us recently and you've listened to a bit of the back catalogue, myself and Brian are can't wait for june to come around because neither of us have ever been to a race before and we've that's got right. dirty side on tour in canada so yeah that's fantastic i mean montreal has uh, had some pretty epic races in its uh, day as well uh with the exception of one year i think it's been on the calendar for 30 plus years so a historic race pretty legendary track named after a legendary driver um yep. in a very cool city uh, i really hope you uh, enjoy it there and i'm sure you will Oh, well, I mean, I think the racing will be fantastic. The question is, can Rob and I actually spend all this time together over three and a half days and not kill each other is really what will be the question that we have to figure out here. Right. And you were saying you've not really met that often in person. Is that no. the case? I so, mean, yeah. about three times, a, I think. Yeah, <laughs> three times. Exactly. That's basically what this is. Oh, I'm, I'm going to show. No, I'm not. I was just about to speak too soon then, because then there'll be like some horrendous photos afterwards where I prove that I'm not a better drinker than Brian. But uh, we'll find. Chat, out. I'll, I'll show him the British drink. That's what I'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Warm, like one warm beer. Great, and then I'll move on. <laughs> You're going to regret that. Right. Anyway, we're not here, we're not here to pick on each other, yeah, Brian. No. We, we we're here because Walter wants to do the 100 seconds of DRS. That's why we're here. Um, so I think it's your turn to ask the questions, Brian. It is, and I am excited, and I am ready. Walter, are you ready, sir? I, I'm I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Um, looking forward to it, and um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Okay. Well, I have the timer here. Oh, that's it. Warm up, Brian. Get ready. Well, okay. you accuse me of being slow on these, and I have some new ones. So now the pressure oh, is amped okay. up. Well, you know, I, I won't accuse you of being slow unless you actually are slow. So, you know, it's all power to you to put this right. So Walker's here we go. going to save us. One, 100 seconds of DRS in three, two, one, begin. Best F1 driver on the grid currently. Oh, well, in terms of driving, I'd say Alonso. In terms of personality, Bottas. All right. Most commonly visited website that you use. Uh, wow. Gmail.com. <laughs> How boring is that? <laughs> What's your current favorite F1 track? Uh, Spa. Oh, I love Spa. Best racing movie of all time. If racing is just against the clock, I'll say The Rendezvous, which is kind of an old French film. Okay. Uh, if it's against other cars, they'll say uh, Grand Prix. Okay. Um, you might have answered this before, but I'm still asking it. Favorite livery of all time on an F1 car? Uh, on a race car, I'd say the uh, Lotus John Player Special. Yes. On a yes. testing car, the RB11 kind of camo digital uh, yeah. livery. I love the, the John Player Special. All right, sure. favorite TV show? Favorite TV show? Uh, Bojack Horseman. Okay. Is TV peanut show? butter dairy? No. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Least favorite phrase that people use? Circle back. <laughs> Fill in the blank. F1 in America is? Still underappreciated, but up and coming. Okay. Uh, who would you say is the best F1 driver of all time? 
I'll I'll just I'll say Schumacher. I think seven titles, the first one to do that, and what he did for Ferrari in those days. I'll say Schumi. Uh, best vacation you've ever taken? Uh, 2010 Europe with my wife. Lovely. Uh, DRS, good or bad? Good, but not perfect. Uh, tires, interesting or not? You can't. I, I got to say, I'm sorry. You can't be an F1 fan and not appreciate a good tire. Yes. And that is time on that horrendous answer. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best. Walter saved the day. Rob and I are arguing with each other, and he comes through with some amazing perspectives. And I have a gift for you, Walter. Uh, here is 15 seconds of a Ferrari V10 going around the course that I just couldn't hold any longer. That's tremendous. Is that really a GIF? A gift. A gift. Yeah, I didn't hear the T at the end either, Walter. Yeah, so I was getting first, so excited I, to do that. I, I know that's the first a point of contention, with... I think, yeah. on, on the program too, isn't it? Yes, it <laughs> is. Yeah, it is. I mean, you I know, understand that people want to call it a GIF, but the G stands for graphics. Hard G. It's but, a GIF, but I But I drink gin and tonic and I put gel in my hair. Right, but Ooh. but it's not a, a, a graphics <laughs> interchange <laughs> I format. Know, I know. Right. Um, oh, speaking man. of F10 or uh, V10 sounds in F1, um, have you seen the? I saw it on Instagram. There's a, a bloke playing the electric guitar that sounds like a V10 going around a circuit. So if you've not seen it, I have not. I can send you the link. It's. I, I think it's pretty well done. Please, please send it along. That would be awesome gladly. to see. Yeah, and Rob, before we let Walter go, you would wanted to t- uh, give him a shout out for his his clothing, his attire, and in particular, let Paul know about it. Well, yeah, definitely, because we're, we don't do the video aspect of this. We're sitting here looking at Walter sat there in some uh, older F1 merch, which I think Pit Lane Paul is going to absolutely love because I can't remember. You tell us which year it was again, Walter, and just tell us what you're wearing. Yeah, so I, the year, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's 2004 or 2005, but it's a, a BAR Honda Lucky Strike um, shirt, team shirt. Uh, not authentic, but a good, good replica, <laughs> very heavily embossed and embroidered, which That's I so bought cool. at the Busan Motor Show in South Korea, I think in yeah 2005, maybe six. So, it is. Yeah. It, it does look very good. And uh, yeah, I think that's BAR is where Pit Lane Pool started his uh, career. So uh, we thought we'd better give that one a, a shout out. So, Walter, thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to have you here and do the DRS with you. Thanks, Walter. Well, likewise, I had a great time doing it. I appreciate the opportunity to be um, on the uh, the podcast and wish the two of you really the best of luck. Um, I, I know I mentioned just before we went on that when I listen to you two, the rapport that you have reminds me... Um, of the Smartless podcast, which I guess maybe perhaps you're not listening to, but I, I think a lot of people do. Not to plug another podcast while we're on yours, of course, but <laughs> you know they they're, they're three very well known blokes: Will Arnett, Sean Hayes, and Jason Bateman. One of the things they often talk about on there is a amongst actors and themselves, kind of loosely, they talk about sexy indifference. And I think when I hear you two talk and 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 get together and your podcast in general, uh, it makes me think of informed irreverence and <laughs> i like that i mean that in the best way possible yeah. and you can use that if you like informed <laughs> irreverence that's like uh what i get out of your podcast excellent super kind thanks again for doing this really appreciate it, it was great meeting you all. yeah likewise thanks gentlemen box box uh another good hundred seconds in the bag there and uh 
<laughs> Walter, you were amazing. And we probably chatted with Walter for as long as we did then after we hung up. Um, just it was a good time. Good time chatting to Walter. And we probably could have gone on and on and on. But uh, it was great to have you on, Walter. And um, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one, uh, Brian. Yourself? A hundred percent. Amazing. Walter, thanks, man. That was that was brilliant. And yes, as Rob said, once we stopped the recording, I think we busted out like cars, F1 liveries, memorabilia. I mean, it was a long conversation that I thoroughly enjoyed. So Walter, thank you. If you want to be on the 100 seconds of DRS like Walter, let us know on Twitter at F1 Dirty Side. You can always send us an, a DM there or uh, Dirty Side of the Track at gmail.com would work. Rob, you want to kind of close us out here, man? Uh, I think so. Uh, what are we doing next week? We potentially got another kind of special episode next week, uh, as long as we can pull our finger out and get it all scheduled correctly. So we should have another um, good set of content next week, which then, I think if I'm getting my dates right, would mean that at the end of next week, we'll actually be able to do a race preview, correct? We should, yeah. I think, is it Abu Dhabi? It's the last race of the year. Have we made it to December, November, December? What is <laughs> this? I don't know where we are anymore in the calendar. When I put so much joy on Sunday mornings watching F1, and it's been so quiet. I don't know where I am anymore. I don't up and down. Black is white. I don't know what's going on. So, yes, you're right. Baku is in two weeks from... <sighs> Fantastic. So we can do a race preview next week after what will hopefully be a great, uh, I don't want to give it away, especially just in case it doesn't happen. So uh, <laughs> hopefully some good content to come next week. If not me and Brian making up stuff or maybe doing the world's longest preview episode just because we've got some content to talk about again. But uh, yeah, I'm off to go and uh, lie down and probably sleep uh, for the next week until we get back together again because I'm so scared after getting back so late last night. Welcome back to Rob. Thanks everybody for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week doing whatever it may be you're doing. We'll talk to you soon. 